So I'm here with Matt Starr, an awesome entrepreneur in Madison, and I'm so excited to be talking to him about how he got to be the founder of Rally Energy and hear his story about how he went from materials engineer to, you know, diehard entrepreneur. It's very exciting. So how you doing today, Matt? I'm pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. good? Yeah. Pretty yeah. good. We just got done with an awesome conversation about the Tesla and SpaceX launch, so I'll put some of that at the end of this conversation. Uh, so Matt, I just wanted to, to ask you. So. When you think of yourself right now, just a quick two sentences, how would you summarize what you're all about in February 2018? Oh my goodness, that's a great question. Well, I have, uh, I'd love to give you an answer that focuses on the business, but honestly I have a almost two-year-old at home okay. right now, and he's blowing me away with his developments every day. So part of that is on my mind and I can't help but do that. Um, but what am I all about? Managing the growth of my company at a pretty crucial time, I would say. Uh, we're not really, really small anymore. Um, when you start off, there's a lot of things you can do that are pretty risky. Mm -hmm. And every gain you make <clears throat> is significant. Every time you make a new sale is significant. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to kind of keep that actually going on inside. Like every sale counts, every like step counts. I like to keep that somewhere inside me. But it's also true when you start from zero. You know, every step you make matters significantly. And um, both in the material sense it matters significantly to your company, but also just in the sea of companies that are out there, almost all of them do nothing or stop working right away. And so every time you make a step forward, it's like I'm not the company that stopped the step behind me. You know what I mean by that? So that's true. Uh, but as you accumulate these steps and you progress along, you know, scaling your product, getting it more and more right with the customer, getting diehard fans of your product, um, so you have good partnerships with vendors, every step does, in a material way for business, contribute less and less. Mm -hmm. And so you start looking for larger and larger steps to make, milestones to achieve, to um, materially move your business forward. And so... Everyone kind of knows what a Kimberly Clark or like a, a Hershey's or a, you know a Five Hour Energy. Everyone kind of knows at scale what those companies look like, and a lot of people know what the or think they know what the company uh, in the dorm room or in the garage, kind of toiling away trying to make their first sale looks like. You know, there's a very you kind of imagine yourself in a large company or in that being that first sale. You can imagine both those situations, and then being in between. It's very murky, you know, it's imprecise. Uh, the path that existed yesterday is not the path that exists tomorrow for how you should act uh, to grow the company because th things are changing so much in the economy for where the customers are going, what distribution channels are people are looking at, what, what, where you should be going, putting your product. So that middle murky area um, is a real challenge to understand where to focus your time. That's why it's where my brain is right now. Where you focus your time um, where to focus the team's time, how to incentivize people, uh, how to incentivize vendors and partners, and really get your business you know, into, through, and out of that, that murky place. Okay. That, that's, that's what I'm all about right now. If you had any resources recommended to you, or do you have any favorite resources for crossing that, crossing that murky zone? I do hear lots of resources recommended to me. Okay. Okay. So, um... <clears throat> But how many I find value in personally, yes. or personally do have time to then follow up with, mm -hmm. that's extremely limited. So uh, something I recommend to people when I am making a recommendation, <laughs> uh, being like, this is a great resource for me, but I understand you have your own flavor of resources, and of this course. may not be great for you. Like, of I always course. try to caveat with, this is what I would do, but your own person, and my your business exists three years after mine started, so it could be different. Um, I will say I've had a great experience with uh, Merlin Mentors, who is a, a mentoring organization that's in town, uh -huh. Madison. Wisconsin, I think, in general, but Madison, there's a lot of meetings that go on in Madison. And uh, they, you go in when you first start your business or when you're at a certain time in your business and you pitch your business to a bunch of uh, people who have you know, either operated in a certain area that you, they think is similar to your area, uh, either in a large company or a small company, maybe they've done it before in like a startup, mm -hmm. quote unquote, or they have just literally done your role or a role that's critical to your business in a large company before. Yep. And these people have 
you know, volunteer the time to help smaller companies, um, people starting companies, and help them through their challenges. So I was very fortunate when I was pitching to have uh, several mentors there that have had very relevant experiences to what, I'm, what I've been going through. And I have heard the, I've definitely heard it even from people who first developed Merlin though, that like sometimes it's a roll of the die, you don't know who's gonna be there, what's gonna happen, and if you don't get a great mentor, just pitch again. Okay. Just find the right people for you, which is a great lesson, obviously, and I love that they, <laughs> from the top, are like, if you didn't get a great mentor for you, just whatever, it didn't work out, do it again. Find that mentor, that's okay. the important part, right? I love that about them. So I was really fortunate to have that. Um, and that's been very beneficial throughout the process. Beyond that, I would say the resource I, I call on all the time is, which we talked about a little bit before, was um, just my training, being a PhD student, as a PhD student, being an engineer as an undergrad, uh, going through engin engineering graduate school, actually. The scientific process, okay, of questioning what you're doing, why you're doing it, what you're proving when you do it, how confident you are in that decision and the decisions you made in the past, that is a resource that, I mean, it just focuses you, which is something you need at this point. It just focuses you and gets rid of a lot of the hoopla that's around you about, here, I can help you. I can help everyone. Everyone can help you. Everything's a great resource. It just costs you X, Y, Z. And at this point, time is also crazy significant. So like having that inside, this like internal whatever mat, just saying... Do you, we know this is where we should be spending our time? Do we, do we feel like this has been validated? Do we have evidence for this? I, always, I, I very routinely call back to that and try to have that guide the decisions that are going on or make the decision that this was like, the decision I made was bad, right? Um, sometimes you're making decisions and they're, they're, they're propagating for a while and you kind of grow uh, attached to those decisions because they exist, and so when something exists, you just kind of get attached to it. And it's hard to just say, this is not the right way. This is not what we should be doing. I made a mistake. And it's really great if you can take a step back, almost project yourself as like someone else for a moment, to like, what would you do if you saw some other company doing this, and you knew it was wrong for the past seven months, mm -hmm. three months, two months? Would, what would, what would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, in that moment, you'd probably <laughs> say, I don't think that's the right decision. And maybe initially that was the right decision. It wasn't the right decision, right? So don't do that anymore. And so that has been, like, internally, has been a great resource, which is actually great because theoretically almost everyone has that. And they don't, they don't use that enough. They're, like, always looking for validation and for someone else to tell them, just to, just to even, like, cool off that sense of I don't know what's right. Cause if you, no, no answer's written in the stars. Okay, that's the problem. No answer's written in the stars, so there's, possible, there's many possible futures of what is success and not success for your company. And if we have an idea of what we think is successful or going to be successful, we want to be guided, we look for resources people have done before. But also, there is this internal, you are a human who has lived a life, you know, maybe 18, 20 years, your 22, life, lived your life, life exactly. You're maybe with. very relevant to your customers mm -hmm. also, right? A lot of stuff going on there. And if you can take a step back for a moment, if you can, use that. Use that. And a lot of people don't feel the confidence to use that. And they want to just dive in on even what doesn't feel right, but someone else told them was, was right, and they said it with confidence, and they, stored, they stared them in the eye. Okay. And like, ooh, that guy knew what he was talking about, and she knew what she was talking about. It'd, it'd be just cool if you could clone yourself and then have yourself just designated to the task of giving you <laughs> feedback on what you're well, doing. <laughs> no, I, even better, time machine. So I like to, I use this a lot in my life. You said Where, time machine. Time machine, yeah. I, I use mental time machine. So I use, like, your mind's like a future engine, right? I like to, um, if I'm going through something in your personal life or in your business life that is in, causing you tremendous anxiety, like, oh, so much work to do to accomplish this or don't know if this is going to work or I'm not sure if I, this is a good idea, mm -hmm. Just honestly, like when you're in the shower that day, because you're not distracted by anything else but the shower, go, okay, I take a shower every morning. In six weeks, I will still be taking a shower in the morning. Mm -hmm. What will I think about six weeks ago? You know, in six weeks, what will I be thinking back on six weeks ago? Is this an exercise that you do? Yeah, all the time. Okay, cool. And, you know, the meeting I have tomorrow, in six weeks, will be a distant memory. 
right, from all the other stuff going on in your life. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the future me is a great resource of saying I like what that. really matters right now, I like right? That. The like, future me. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I did this since high school, for sure, when there's, like, a crazy task you're studying for it, and that's your life. And in the shower in the morning, you're like, but I know I had a test, like, a month ago, and I don't care at all about that test. <laughs> so I'm pretty confident a month I'm not going to care about this test. Yeah. And the same thing happens all the time you know, in anything you do in business is people. So in anything you do where... There's a lot of stuff on the line. You have to work really hard. And all you're thinking about is how it's going to be a late night and you're going to work really hard the next couple days. But I know you can think in your life times when you've done that before. And right now, they're distant memories you don't care anything about. Yeah. So you know, me in six weeks is looking at me in the past going, I'm not even going to give you more than three seconds of thought because I have so much other stuff I need to do right now. And so we're just blowing past all the anxiety mm-hmm. completely. And also if you allow yourself to look back on a decision where you're like, I'm still perseverating on whether this is a good idea or a bad idea. If in six weeks you're thinking back going, I wish I could yell at the younger Matt and say, why are you still inundating me with this anxiety, you jackass? You know what I mean? Like, it's your decision now, today, to change it so I don't have to deal with it in the future. That's liberating. So when you make a great decision, um, sometimes it's just like ripping the Band-Aid off, right? If you do that, sometimes like, but if I did it, Three weeks ago, it would be much better today. And if I do it today, it'll only be a little bit better tomorrow. So really, I wish I could just do it three weeks ago. Like a lot of people, there's a lot of decisions in life that are like that. But like, if you, the further back in time you did them, the better it would have been. Okay, but you didn't do that. And all you have is today right now. So just be the future you and say, I am so glad that whatever, today, you did that. Because every day, additionally, you'll be happy that you did it. You freed up the time, you freed up the resources to make the right decision. I would love to hear from, from just a high level what your education journey looked like and how you evolved. I know that this is a very open-ended question, so sure. I'm going speci- to specify a little more at the end, but the premise is how you evolved from being an engineer to being a business person and wanting to be a diehard entrepreneur. And the specific question there is, at what moment did you recognize that you were not necessarily made to be a lifelong engineer, but you wanted to go and you wanted to build product and businesses? So was there a, was there a key moment that kind of changed your mindset? Oh, goodness. There were, you asked me a lot of questions in there, actually. <laughs> Nothing in life is simple. There, so I get, it's always easier to answer like the last yeah. part. So usually. let's take the, the let's take the, the was there a was there a specific <clears throat> moment that you kicked kicked into the entrepreneurship gear yeah. and moved away from the materials engineer long term gear? I would say I would frame it as is there a time when I kicked into the you know, entrepreneurship engineer scientist gear whatever, opposed to the larger established corporate engineer scientist mm-hmm. gear? Okay. Because, again, I use the scientific method yes. all the time running we'll around. Get, well, it's really I would, I'd love to dive, dive into that sure. afterwards. Okay. So let's just start there because that's actually easier for me to recall okay. memory specifically. So we're starting at the... We are... Um, was there a moment or a series of moments that are pretty concrete about making the decision to start a business as opposed to joining Great. an established business? And so I would say... <clears throat> I recall when I was a grad student here that... Um, you know, I, I obviously helped students. I always liked building stuff. Okay, so let's put that to rest. So definitely high school, whatever. Always loved building stuff, taking stuff apart. That's true. We'll get more of that if you would like. But that continued through grad school. Okay, so um, I remember, and part of that is I have a notebook, notebooks piled high of just awesome things I would like to build one day type situation, or should exist in the world. And some, you know, I'm lucky to see come into the world through other companies over the years, through like high school. You know, like high school. This is a great idea, and you see it in college and. You get mixed feelings about that and whatever. So I've seen that stuff happen. So I just have a, a significant number of things I'd love to see coming to the world one day. And part of me in grad school was thinking, okay, what company... I obviously love this, like, creation part. So not just thinking of the idea, but also prototyping is very important to me. Like we had talked about starting, mm-hmm. like, doing the, the hard, easy things, sort of. You know, it's like the internally difficult, but actually financially easy things. Um, building and proving out the concept. I like doing that a lot. So what company would I go and work for and do that all the time for? Is a good question to ask yourself. And one of the problems I had when I would ask myself that, a lot of people, you know, on third year of grad school ask themselves that, like second year, third year of grad school, sorry, asking themselves that, is 
that my ideas were tremendously varied, right? So there's like a dog toy that I think is really interesting, and there is a computer monitor that I think uh, is very interesting that I like to build, that I prototyped and I did build. There are um, nail polish applicators I think are interesting that should be built. There are food products that I think are very interesting and should be built. Uh, there are all these kinds of products that should be built. Okay, that's wonderful to have in your life, these kinds of varied interests. It is not necessarily the best thing for a company that focuses on the heat pumps for you to come in and be like, what do you like to do? Well, I have, you know, I think this heat pump is a really good idea. It's a very interesting idea. It's an interesting idea. I want to, like, make this heat pump with you and work with you on these heat pumps. Like, great. So do you, like, is heat pumps what you want to work on for the rest of your life? Or, like, what's going on here? Like, well, after the heat pump, I like to kind of work on this dog toy for a while. <laughs> it's like the heat pump company doesn't necessarily love that you want to work on yeah. the dog toy. And regardless of whether that conversation even happens, which kind of happens, uh, if you know that that's true, that's not a great situation. So now you're walking into a company where you know you're going to work on problem X for many years, but you know that you personally have many problems you'd like to tackle. Okay? And maybe one of them is X, but also most of them are not X, because X is just one product in one category. And you know that you like lots of categories. Mm -hmm. So it makes choosing that company very difficult. Enough so that like even you basically start thinking, I should go work for a product development company that just develops wide range of products yeah. for companies, which is then where my brain started to go. So I very quickly realized, oh, I, there's not really a company, one company, that makes products in my category that I like, because I don't have like, a category that I like. But there are companies that develop categories of products. Those are interesting. So I looked into those. And that's where I was thinking, like, oh, okay. There are companies, some are in Wisconsin, some are in Madison, some are all over the world, whatever, that do this. And if I was to work for another company, that is what I would do. So you would work at one of the product development firms that... That's, that's what I was thinking at the time, right? Okay. I would do that, because that you don't get to specify exactly what the product is, right? Um, companies come in, and they say, we'd like you to develop a new kind of XYZ to a degree. You, know, you have to do the market research, find out where the market's going to a degree, what is a good user interface, both physically and maybe software-wise, and then you prototype that out. That's a really interesting process. It's a mm -hmm. process I love. Uh, and there are companies that do that for a living. So that seemed really interesting to me. And it was within that that I started saying, like, okay, well, how much do these products cost to take from idea to market? Like, what, what happens after that company does the prototype? Well, they do the prototyping, then there's market testing, actual market testing with that prototype. Mm -hmm. And then if that works... They probably scale manufacturing and go into other stores that are relevant to those demographics. So, so after that process that I want to do, that I like to do, there's a couple steps. You know, my naivety. There's a couple steps, and then <laughs> the product exists at scale and is selling. Interesting. So do I like that entire process? Do I just like the beginning of that process? What, what is going on here? Because all I'd be doing is maybe the beginning of that process. So which part of this whole process do I like? Were you actively thinking about all of this? Yeah, yeah. So maybe I... Maybe I'm really good at, or maybe I'm really bad at, the marketing to the end consumer and then doing the testing to see. And there's all these other parts of the process of commercializing that I didn't have any experience with. I thought it was really interesting. So I made, you know, I made this chart that I talk about, which I think everyone should kind of do who's in this circumstance, which is, especially if you're a student, which has, like, on the y-axis, the amount of money it requires to launch an idea, and on the x-axis, it has the time required to launch an idea, and then you just plot all your ideas on there. And you're like, okay. Everything at like the far end, you know, at the far extremes of high X and high Y is going to take a really long time and be very expensive. I like that. And I am a student. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so that's good. So what you want to do is be probably, if you have limited resources, and that's different for everyone's life, okay, which I get, but if you have limited resources and you really want to learn the process yourself, you probably want to go for the other extreme, which is relatively short time scale to launch with whatever you think that means, right? and relatively low capital cost to launch. And that likely, if you don't have a lot of resources, again, whatever that means in your life, is a good place to begin the process of executing on a business. Okay? Now, there are people contrary to this, like, no, no, just dream the biggest dream you possibly can. Who cares how long it takes? We'll figure out ways there and then go get tremendous funding if you can. I get that. Everyone's got their own philosophy. This is just what I recommend people who are trying to figure out what to do, do, because it's a way of taking action and starting to build something. And hopefully you end up in a... You're in the quadrant that's relatively low capital cost, relatively short runway to launch. 
And so that had a couple ideas in that quadrant that I was really interested in. And then you start picking those apart. So let's say there's like four ideas in that quadrant, relatively low cap cost, relatively low um, short runway to launch. You don't require like FDA medical testing or something, right? Which could be like 13 years or something. It's just, there are people that want to do that. And I'm just like, that's not where I was. So you start picking those apart and going, okay, these ideas that I like, when did I create them? Well, maybe I created one last year, maybe one last month, maybe one seven years ago, maybe one 14 years ago. Okay, are they still relevant? What are the market sizes like, right? What are the barriers to entry, right? Not the stuff that you knew when you just looked at it. Like what, go investigate those four ideas. How do they get to market actually? This is part of this process that I was unfamiliar with, right? That I wanted to get more familiar with. This idea, caffeine mint. How would I make it? How would I get certification from the FDA for it? How would I uh, put it into a container? How much regulation is required to do that? How do I get my first sales? How do I get my distribution? What does the market size look like, right? People want billion dollar businesses. I hear you, okay, that's fine, that's a great number. If you say, what's the energy drink market to somebody, right? If I ask you, what's the energy drink market like over the past like five years, what's the number you might think it is? Total cap over the past five years? Yeah. Maybe a billion dollars? Okay, well that's just like, years. maybe it's like $18 billion. Okay. Does that sound interesting to you? It's interesting, to me at least. Okay, so when you start throwing out those numbers, you start to realize that um, there are industries that exist that are very large, that your impact in can be large if you create a new category in them, and um, this is a whole bunch that's buried in there that I don't want to get into. But it's like, you don't know that from when you start off, and you're just like, I want to make a caffeinated mint, right? You start learning that stuff. And so then you go, okay, as a business, now I know execution-wise how much money I need approximately, um, how long it's going to take, but as a business, what seems like a healthy business to start? Again, in your life circumstances as a student particularly, right? Okay, it's one that should have potentially a large upside, whatever that means to you, whether that's the education part, right? I had a very quick path from prototype to seeing if I could do marketing and sales. Very quick path with Rally Energy. And I wanted to learn that. I just told you. I knew how to do prototyping. I didn't know anything about the get-to-market at the end of the day strategy. So I wanted to learn that, and this idea had one of the quickest paths to that. I was like, great. That was a very high criteria for me of getting value out. Also, the market's very large, and all these other things that you could do for build-on products were very good. So it's like, okay, it makes sense to launch that business, right? And that was the journey I took from, hey, what company am I going to go work in and build products for to, oh, one company's probably not going to make sense for a specific kind of product. Okay, I should go to companies that build products. What happens in those companies when they build products for other companies? They take them and they go to market. Do I know anything about this process at all? No, I don't because I've never ran a business before. I need to learn this process so I can add the most value possible. How do I do that? Get your hands dirty. What is a low capital cost, short one way of doing that? And relatively, you map it out. Don't be ignorant about it. Know the risks, you're, you know, know your costs, know your risks. And then I made that decision. It reminds me of how Tim Ferriss always talks about how he was considering going to get his MBA at Stanford. And then he had an idea. He's like, what if I just took the 120 grand it would cost me to get my MBA and practice startup investing and actually get my hands dirty? And then if you lose all the money, you view it as a sunk cost. If you lose the time, you view it as, or not a sunk cost, you view it as an education rather than a sunk cost. And if you lose the time, you view it as an education rather than a sunk cost. Um, and I think that it's an amazing, amazing philosophy to adopt and it's very cool that you were able to implement that so so tactically. It might be harder for like a 45 year old person of course. to make that kind of risk. Of but as a, I've heard him say such things as well and then say, what's the worst case scenario? I go and just get another job. Exactly. Right? Which, legit. And But again, if you target different demographic with that logic, they'll roll their eyes and go, I can't, I got a mortgage and a kid or I got five kids or if I leave my job for more than two years, I'm never going to stay on the cutting edge. Exactly. So I do try, that is good advice for certain people at certain life circumstances. And uh, it's just good to make sure that everyone knows that. But that's who we're talking to today, so yeah. I get that. So especially with this audience, one of the, one of the goals that I am trying to tease out that I mentioned before is I, my, one of my core hypotheses is that the world is moving toward that model of even if you are a 45-year-old, you can quit your job, fail, and then use the skills that you have to go do something else. Um, I think... We're going to become much more skill-based as a species instead of just manual, mindless labor-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this generation of people who are in school right now really need to learn that and mm-hmm. 
think like that, especially mm-hmm. while they're young like this. Um, and I don't, again, I don't see that being displayed to this demographic anywhere. So thank you for sharing that story. Mm-hmm. Um, specific question, um, moving back. So that was an awesome description of the journey and the continuum of how you went from what job do I want to let's start rally. Was there a like quantized moment of inception that you're like, shit, I don't, I, I don't want to work at a, at a, or like where you, where you said, what am I going to do afterwards? And you just started thinking and you got your mind rolling. Cause a lot of people have that moment where they're thinking, well, what am I going to do next? Uh, for me, it was when I realized that I spent five weeks in hours watching the TV show Lost seven times, the entire series. Um, and I was like, well, shit, I don't ever want to waste that much time in my life again. I want to build things that are of value. Um, and I don't want to get into a funk where that is a possibility that I'm going to be wasting my time like that. So did you have a quantized instance where you said, shit, this is, what I, this is the path I need to take or I need to start looking for a job I, you, you you had a continuum in your in your path. So what was, was there? A, I mean, a, a, like I said, so there was moment. a there was a moment. There was it was a it was a process, right? Where I was okay. like disassembling and reassembling what I liked to do and trying to have that like dovetail into realities of what people get paid for to do in the real world. And then it came out again, going, but do I have that knowledge? So there was a journey, but to get all the way to rally, but there certainly was a point in a conversation I was having with a good college friend um, where I had realized that first step of it, mm-hmm. which is there isn't a company, as far as I know, that uh, I could go and work for and develop multiple products for that are diverse. Okay. That probably, there's actually a lot more tied up in there we can talk about in a moment, but there's there probably is not that company. And sort of like, you know truths for a while before you, when you either know them or you understand them. Yeah, they hate you. Yeah, and it's sort of like, you know, that was a reality I had for a long time, but it doesn't mean it influenced my behavior. And it was after that moment, so that's kind of how I would define what you're talking about here. Like, when did your behavior change? Yeah. That's really important right here. It's like, and I, both, that's both mental. I guess, I guess a better question mental. would be, when did you feel it in your bones rather than just... Yeah, it would be, it. there was a conversation I was having. It was basically a rehash, you know, of the same conversation I've had before where I'm just, you know, I am perseverating on this topic of I'm not sure how to make these two things connect. What I know I enjoy doing and what it's sort of expected of me at this point uh, in my PhD career to, like, to be doing what I'm done. And I just didn't know how to make them connect. And instead of just like sitting there and having these two things like grinding, these two gears grinding, like I realized like this is this other gear <laughs> that I could have just leaned into. And I didn't actually know where it went at the time, right? I remember I, was, I told you, I said, I was like, well, I can't, I guess I can't. And that led me on the journey. But I realized there was this like other gear that if you just kind of shift it was spinning with me. I was like, okay, well, where's that gear going? You know, and that's, that's sort of how this happened. Was there something that your friend said to you in the conversation or that you said to your friend that, that was that? No, no, it was probably that there was a career fair like coming up on you, like at the university. And so just in general, I was looking at the companies that were here. And, and there's a, so many companies that come here and you can like basically do anything, right? And that's why it was all kind of coming to a head. It's like, I kind of like do, which is not a great way to pitch yourself, but I kind of feel like I could be happy for a time at any of these companies. But that wasn't everything I was asking for, like in that question to myself when I was looking at these sheets of companies. I was like, I wasn't saying, what company could I kind of be happy with for a while right now? You know, I, was saying, I was asking myself a different question mm-hmm. and looking at these companies, and that's, it was the, which one could I keep developing products for that be as varied as my interests are, if I could, if I can, right? And that's when I was having a conversation at the same time. I think those just kind of, at that point, came together. Got it. So one, one Enough, s- like, a reality was being injected in, because, like, enough career fair stuff was going on around that time. It's like, instead of just typing, you know, pontificating or something, it's actually in the conversation. It's like, but here's the list of companies. So they're like, well, there are companies, but here's the list of companies. You can obviously go outside the list if you want. Cold call is fine. But here is a list of companies... Do you see it? Mm-hmm. You know? And I probably looked at that list a dozen times before, and it didn't really... I just kind of kept grinding those gears together. 
And then just that time it was a, let's entertain this other thought. Yeah. You know? So moving on back to the path of that other thought, um, one, one just yes or no question. Do you actually draw out your XY plot of cost first time? And yeah. And plot your ideas on it? You do? Yeah. Do you have a I mean, I haven't since I made that, that decision. Oh, man, it's getting more complicated than that. So that is generally true, what I just told you. Um, so this is actually, I really recommend people do this. I really it's great, do. It's okay, awesome okay. I totally recommend I like that this. a lot. Yeah, so I should have indulged a little bit more in that process. So I definitely did. Okay, I definitely did. Now, the great thing is that um, people like might do that and then say, but now's not a good time for launching my company, which is fine. Okay, but they do that. What they have to realize is that <clears throat> that graph, um, it exists, but the points aren't, you really got to understand this, the points aren't static. Okay, so today it costs this much to launch this company, and it'll take this much time. And these points are drifting around, and hopefully, by the grace of technology, they're actually continuously drifting so like shooting stars coming down towards this lower capital cost, shorter runway. Because it's easier and easier all the time mm -hmm. to do this. Now what's interesting is that also opens up more things on the cutting edge, which then are appearing. You know, there's like things are being populated, new new ideas, new possibilities are popping up in the really long, you know, runway, long hard, you know, lots of capital costs. They're oh, so now we can build a Mars base? You know, like maybe? Right. You know, like right. That would have been a dream before, and but the fundamental technology would have been there, and all these. So yeah, you could put this. The a government study would have put this on a graph, but no entrepreneur would really put this on the graph. And now you start going like, it's on the graph. Where should this be <laughs> on the graph? You know. And then how fast is that migrating? So so all of your ideas are functions of time. And Absolutely. Time is a function of, or or they're functions of technology available, which is a function of which time. Which is a function of time. Cool. And in your own personal life, the people you know and the capital that's available to you and the things that you've accumulated. So you might think, yeah, so all these things are changing. So the environment is changing. It's a very important part of business that, like, the environment, everything is changing, okay? And there are, like, a thousand factors that are influencing your business. You have control over, like, a hundred of them. Good for you. And you can only be competent about, like, 80 of them. But there are a thousand things out there, yeah. okay? You have all these data points, and it's, it's true that some of them will be moving, you know, it, they could be moving very quickly right now. The cost could be crashing right now. But it's also true that they might have already crashed a long time ago. And so they're pretty stable now. And these are all just things you need to know. And they're just, you know, when you're getting into an idea that you had a long time ago, if you put it on this chart, it's worth updating the chart and like getting competent in what the best practice is today and like what's going on and how much the cost is. So that, that's a really important aspect. So again, and, um, that, there's another dimension here which is like, you know, the market. Possibly. Like a z-axis with with market. So you, you need to be careful. Yeah, what's the market potential of these? Which is you know as you, I would say though if you start off that way, it's it's hard to be passionate about the project. So, you know, find the ones that you think are you are capable in your own life to do whatever that resource and runway looks like for you, and then explore the other dimension. Because if you're not really excited about it, and someone says, "But it's a trend billion dollar industry," you'd be like, "Now I'm excited." You know, it's like, eh, oh yeah. god, you're not going to work on this very long." <laughs> I can tell. So, you find the things that you are excited about. Which means, you know, there's some kernel in there that lights you on fire, if you can, if you can. Map them out today of, you know, capital cost runway. Find the ones that for your life, they, some people can do all kinds of things right now. Find the ones that in your life work, the quadrant in your life work. Then explore those possibilities and, like, what's the market potential for this? You know, what is, what is the market size? What, you know, how fat, what's the buy cycle? How much technology do I really need today that I wasn't sure about? Quant all these things. Yeah, start trying to be like, what is like the that. business plan for this thing? What would it look like? And uh, and that that axis is also changing all the time. So, you know, there are things that were huge industries. Space time. Five years ago, that like the cost went to nothing, which is a huge opportunity for you if you're building off of it. But if you're in that business, you feel awful. <laughs> so you want to know that kind of thing. And it may have taken you five business to five years to build that business. If you know how long approximately it takes to build that business and the costs are falling, or the, let's say, the amount people pay for it are falling, and the costs for you to build it are not falling, maybe that's not a great business for you to be in because, yeah. like, it's going away or it's becoming fundamental to something else and you want to be on the fundamental to something else one. But if that doesn't excite you, then switch to another idea. Got it. It's just don't fool yourself. Don't trick yourself.
I'd lo love to touch on your implementation while you were at the university mm. and resources that you took advantage of. I saw that you worked for Wharf mm -hmm. for a while. I saw that you also started a entity to WEAF something way of that two. nature. Way What's two. Up? Way two. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I'd love to hear because that sounds like it started before really? you were deep into your PhD and you were oh, having all these my, thoughts. Yeah, it was early on. Um, and then I also saw that you that you started. You were a materials advantage president. And you started the solar car team at Rutgers. Um, which is also super entrepreneurial. I mean, but there are lots of people involved. Being of, a student, of course, of course, so much going on. Of yeah. course, but it's still starting an entity like that. It's, it's not easy. It takes a entrepreneurial spirit to take that dive and take that risk. It's a big project. So I'm, if you could give like a thirty second summary of how you went about identifying projects that you wanted to work on while you were in university and then in your in university as an undergrad and then in your graduate program mm -hmm. outside of materials engineering. <clears throat> so they had to have kernels that excited me and then maybe underutilized, but resources either in the school or in the town that I could leverage the hell out of. Okay. Absolutely. And many of those resources people don't either don't realize exist or if they realize exist, feel like there's some complicated implementation of them when really it's just you walking into an office and yeah. asking for help, <laughs> which is actually usually, usually there's someone at a desk waiting for you to come in and you just hope they're not sarcastic or something. <laughs> you know, but usually that's what you're looking for and you wish that's what the situation would be and you just haven't done that and so you think it's something more complicated. So what are some of the, your favorite resources that you, or the most helpful resources that you have identified on universities? Oh my goodness. So for um, me, it's competitions, it's, you know, Wharf, we have an awesome patent office here. Yeah, so, oh my gosh. Um, and you don't have to go on a tirade in advertising yeah, 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 yeah. for Wharf no, right now. But no, 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 but there's a reason why I did Wharf, which is important. It's sort of like the story. So I wanted to launch a certain kind of product before Rally, and... I had learned that I could not, I could not protect its intellectual property. Okay, I couldn't protect its intellectual property, and so anyone else could rip it off. Okay, and it was a very low cost product to manufacture, distribute. So that was a concern because otherwise it's like whatever. Everyone else is doing their own product anyway. So if it's hard to manufacture but there's no IP, then you'll probably still be ahead of everyone because you're trying harder than everyone and it's hard to manufacture. But it's relatively easy to, like, to create. So I was like, uh oh, that's not good. And then I also, so I had that experience in my life where I was like, I wanted to launch this product, I really like this product, but I couldn't really compete with any of the people who would be in the space. There's no reason why I'd win. I was pretty ignorant about the space. Um, and there's nothing I could do legally to help me out. So I had that experience and then I had also understood the lesson learned from Five Hour Energy was that their container, which was very interesting, a small little container. Um, he's very litigious about people infringing on the trademark of the small containers. You see a small container of liquid by checkout, maybe you think that's Five Hour Energy. You just see a small container, you think it's Five Hour Energy, okay? And that's true, and that's something that basically that company created, that identity, that trademark, something that the company created, and they had a right to defend it. It's interesting to me because. That wasn't like a piece of technology in the product. It was the product itself was protectable. And so I really wanted to uh, understand this process a lot more because it was valuable for him to be able to protect that look. Because immediately after you produce 5 RNG, there's like 6 and 7 and 8 and 2 and 4. Like, why not just the bottles are commodity? You could put a label on cheap. Why not just market that? Mm -hmm. Well, the difference is if people are going after it because it looks like 5 hour. And people, and you know that's true in the minds of the customer, then you can trademark protect that and keep them out of the market, which is true. So I thought that was incredibly valuable. Lesson to learn, to see, executed, and that is something I need to learn more about. So that's one of the reasons why I started to work with Wharf. Okay. Just to um, clarify, Wharf is the Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation. Yes. And so they handle the uh, patenting, trademark, and copyright for everyone at UW. Mm -hmm. I believe they can also help people outside of UW, but they are they're supposed to be dedicated to um, help protect the intellectual property of people at UW. And that could be a student. 
Um, they will trademark for it and help you license it or license, you could license it yourself or license it to companies that will put it out in the world. So they've had a very successful portfolio in the past. They, they're very successful. Uh, so they're very competent in what they're doing, which is great. So great people to learn from. And that helped me understand things that have influenced Rally over the time too. Cool. So yeah, that's a great resource. But as a resource, people might be like, well, how am I supposed to, it's an organization outside the, like, yeah, have you Googled them? Have you called anyone and asked are there like internships and jobs available? So what was for the first step that you took to get your to get your job there? Man, um, I cannot remember exactly. Uh, it was an appointment called Wharf Ambassador, which is uh, probably a program they had started. I'd seen them around campus anyway at events that had to do with intellectual property and uh, really great technology talks that were going on. So I knew them right, and then I knew professors that patent stuff through them, and I think they had something. At the time, when I'd gotten curious about this, uh, oh, I tried patenting some stuff through them. Right, that's where I learned that this other product was not trademarkable, okay. which I really wanted to protect with a patent or trademark. And so I got more involved with them, like new people associated with them. And then there was a, a program they put on called Warf Ambassador, where basically they teach you all about intellectual property. And uh, students, they teach students all about intellectual property, and they have you be participating out in the community, the UW community, where if like someone has questions about intellectual property, you can answer them now because you're competent in intellectual property, and that's awesome. And you can help a professor who is not sure if something's patentable, be like, hey, let's submit it to Wharf, like, let's figure this out. So I'd seen that after I had disclosed a lot of you know, inventions to Wharf, uh, just personally, right, that I was interested in. So I had no hesitation to communicate with Wharf at all, and so I was a Wharf ambassador. I got it. Got in the it. interview, and they, you got in, and I learned a lot about intellectual property, and that was awesome. It's it's interesting how these opportunities, these these ambassador positions, these internships, once you identify that they're available and you're aware that they're available, they can teach you so much and open up so many new worlds for you. It's really really interesting. So how how did you first? So was there? Were you actively seeking out these entrepreneurship events while you were on campus? And I imagine you were. Yeah. And so, so by doing that, you got in contact yeah. with Worf, and yeah, that's how yeah. you kind of got it into might, the well, ecosystem. My first contact probably came from, <laughs> I remember them saying at one of these events, like, if you ever have any question about whether your invention is patentable, just submit it to them, and they review it with you and see if it is patentable. Like, that's our job. Don't, don't think, I'm not sure if it's patentable or not. I, I don't want to do it and be rejected. Like, it's just a conversation we have. It's nothing. I remember thinking, okay, challenge accepted. So I just started submitting. <laughs> like, I, you know, I'd meet people like the third, fourth time, like, hi, Matt. I'm like, hi. So today we're going to be discussing, you know, X, Y, Z. Like, okay, you know, it just, is this patentable? Is this, what does the market look like? Who would you do? And so, yeah, I was going to events and doing things like nice. that. Yeah. But then it was probably because I had interacted with them also then personally that I had, again, it's that initial hesitation that many people have. Mm-hmm. You just got to get through of mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and I, I'm, I'm sure we've had a conversation where I bring this up a lot, but like, if I had not talked to them, what's the end result? Nothing. Nothing. Fear I don't, I don't talk to them. The worst I, thing that's now. failure. Right? Uh-huh. So I didn't talk to them. There was no result. Right? Mm-hmm. If I talk to them and they reject my patent or I don't get the internship, what's the result? Well, I also don't have a patent and I don't have an internship. And you learn from the process of doing it. Okay, so there's like, even that, but let's, let's, say, let's <laughs> say that, like, let's say there wasn't even, let's say I'm not even going to give that to you. I'm going to say, no, if you fail, you don't have a patent and you don't have an internship. Okay, so that's failure. Okay, and what happens if you don't apply? Well, you don't have a patent and you don't have an internship. Okay, so if you don't try, you failed. Mm-hmm. Like, full stop. So, so you're sitting here, you failed. If you try, maybe you fail. But I can tell you, the only way to get out of failure is to try. By definition, based on what you're saying. It's the Wayne Gretzky code about So, <laughs> you know, that's, it's really important. You apply that to so many things, and it just, you're sitting there like, I don't know. You go, I don't know because what? I'm already sitting in the worst possible scenario. Mm-hmm. Now, and I don't want, it's not just like, hey, feel good about yourself, try. It's like, no. The result of failure, in many cases, is the same as you sitting in that chair right now. You've already failed Every moment you go by not making that phone call, you failed. If you make that cold call and they reject you, it was the same as you not making that cold call. That it, you need to change the circumstances, man, yeah. or else you're just living in failure. Like, do something. So that is something that's uh, highly motivational. You also miss out on the small piece of risk tolerance and, and failure tolerance that you get from oh, practicing failing. So which is, many which is really benefits good. to trying. Yeah, exactly. As soon as you start doing this, so many benefits. It's crazy.
Yeah, uh, another question I wanted to ask you about was was the competitions that you competed in because you really were able to take advantage of the potential for free money on campus yeah. and the just whole platform of practicing pitching and presenting to investors and getting involved in that ecosystem and that's not something that's super unique to the University of Wisconsin. No. Like Wharf is a pretty unique entity to Wisconsin. I know mm -hmm. a lot of other schools have similar entities, but Wharf in particular and the way yeah, that they operate right. is very unique to Wisconsin. But business plan competitions and innovation competitions are all over the country mm -hmm. and there's a ton of funding that goes into that. Yes. So I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts uh, on, on business plan competitions and, and what you did to get involved in that and why you yeah. got involved in those. Okay. So there is money that needs to go to students mm -hmm. through these competitions. It needs to happen. So the odds of someone winning are 100%. Mm -hmm. The odds of money going to students is 100%. The cost of you entering is zero. Enter, I'm not saying you have to compete because you're a human with a finite amount of time resources. So you need to enter into every competition you possibly can. And if you're not sure you want to compete, you make that decision later. Okay, because the funding deadline, I mean the deadline is way before the competition. So this is the first thing that happens, where a student sees like 40 different competitions, and maybe they're interested in like electrical engineering, and they see a biomedical competition. And they're like, okay, I have to choose to enter this competition in two weeks. The competition will be in four months. I don't want to do anything biomedical. That's great you don't want to do anything biomedical today. You don't know any teams in biomedical. You don't know any cool concepts in biomedical, because you like electrical. Just submit your damn name to the competition and decide in four months if you want to compete. That's my first thing. Like, just get over the hump and compete. Just okay. do it. Just start putting your name in the hats, okay? Because if you're not in the hat, you're already lost, right? That's my philosophy. So once you start entering, then I use the other mentality I just told you, which is like, okay, should I compete in this competition? Well, I don't think I have a good enough idea. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you don't think you have a good enough idea. Why? Because like someone else is talking about how great their idea is, they probably, it's probably crap too. All right, so it's probably crap too, but maybe you'll win. It's only possible if you compete. If you compete and you lose, you don't get anything. We can talk about experience, that's a lot of great stuff. But let's just say money-wise, you don't make anything. Okay? All right. So you compete, you lose, you don't make any money. You don't compete, you also don't make any money. Again, you've already lost the competition by not doing anything. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're scared to lose, it's like you're scared to win. You know? It's like it's there for you. You're already losing. You lost, and you're just guaranteeing it. Why not try to just get out of this horrible circumstance? And so that's like, that's very motivational to me when I was doing, like, why wouldn't I be helping these teams and trying to compete in all these? It is, I'm, am I scared to win, you know? Because I've already lost by not competing. Guaranteed, 100%. And then beyond that, when I really wanted to dig into, like, ideas that I wanted to market, right? Uh, I took it further, which is, you know, what is the motivational thing for get people out there? You know, how should everyone, everyone at different schools, they get different amounts of money, different competitions, different amounts of money. But usually the judges, you know, the school reached out to alumni or local people who have some experience in, in what's going on. And so usually the judges are, are pretty good. Like they might be people who are in your yeah. industry or like they've, they're, they've ran their own, they're in the middle of running their own startup and they've been pulled in. And so they actually have like good stuff for you to find out about your idea. And so, you know, you can, you can say that, when you're in a competition, all right, let's say, this, so we switched the rules now in the game. The, the, they have to give away some money, but they only got to give it away to three people, three teams. There's 100 teams competing. So the odds of you winning here, if you just make it even across everyone, is zero. Because you either win or you don't, and you have less than 100% chance of winning. So competing in the competition, you probably aren't going to make any money if you just say it's random. Uh, so you shouldn't even necessarily compete in the competition to make the money. But everyone who competes has a 100% chance of winning when it comes to standing in front of the judges and then asking the judges what they think about your idea. Mm -hmm. There's so much to benefit from it. So much. And so, I mean, and there's just people who just they leave craters in the ground here, I feel like, because they will, they will they'll go through to the competition. They will push themselves to enter. They'll push themselves to make a prototype and a presentation. They'll stand in front of those judges, and those judges are like shackled to their seats for seven minutes. They're not going anywhere. And that guy or woman could be worth like $40 million because they ran the software company that's already scaled, and they know exactly the problems you're going to have, man. Right? They know exactly your problems. They, are, they have your undivided attention for seven minutes. You give your pitch, and there's no questions. 
and the student thinks to themselves, Whew, no questions, and they walk away happy. And I, oh, I just felt it in my chest right now. I have goosebumps. I go, oh my gosh, they, they couldn't go anywhere, you know? Even if they asked you a question, and then it's like one question, someone's just being polite. Hey, you know, is there a product like this out there? Whatever. They ask that, no questions after that. Don't go, yay, go, oh, wow, okay. Hi, so why is this business going to fail? Like, they just, you can interact with That's them any way one. you want. That's a good one. You know, and those people probably, I mean, whatever, they probably are going to be like, what? You know, like, hi, I know you've ran, like, a SaaS business that's gone through all the problems my SaaS business is going to go through, okay? What, even if it's like, not really this business, athlete, what are the worst problems you've had? I have your, I'm never going to be in a cocktail party with you, but I got you now, man, right? Mm -hmm. Talk to me, you know? And they're like, well, why don't we do it four minutes? And they'll start talking, you know? And the person next to them might be like, yeah, and your business model is like a little funny. Have you realized like you don't have any marketing budget whatsoever? You know, and you're like, oh, that's really, why are you valuable? I'm like, well, I've been a VP of marketing for, I don't know, seven, eight years. Like, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So I have this crowd of very competent people who can go nowhere but interact with me. You have that 100% of the time in a competition. So you absolutely, like, like that. that's for free. <laughs> like, oh, oh. So when I was pitching, you know, I used to have you know, questions and some, I didn't know the answers to them. And I'd get more questions and then eventually I knew the answers to lots of these questions. Because you just get exposed and you get more competent in your business. And then eventually it was just, if they didn't have a, if they had a question, I knew it. It was clear I knew it like immediately or something. Then um, you always let people finish their questions. And then you, know, you, know, you answer competently and that's great. And then if there's quiet, like don't say, ha, so I'm the king of the world or some BS. It's like, no, no, no. You're a fool. If you, you, you're like, you're oh my gosh, <laughs> why do you feel good right now? You're the fool squandering this amazing opportunity that if you had to pay these people to come to dinner, it would be like a $1,000 a plate. Yeah. And it's for free, and you're a student, and somehow you got them. Yeah. And you got five minutes. So would you intentionally leave time at the end of your pitches for asking, so why will my business fail? I wouldn't go over. I wouldn't go over. Because, I mean, I, well, early well, I'm on, saying, I was like, would you, for If you have 20 minutes to pitch, right? Would yeah, you well, say, my pitches, I'm, I'm not even going to use the 20 minutes to pitch. I'm just gonna, or if you had 15 minutes to pitch plus a five-minute Q&A, would you say, I'm going to just do my pitches 10 minutes, and then I'm going to have five minutes of Q&A, and then five if, minutes to be asking them If you can do it without rushing, absolutely. Like, you want, ideally, ideally, like, you're trying to get the good feedback, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, it depends on the, the quality of the pitch. If it's a good pitch, though, and it's, for some reason, like, good time in the day, and all these other things for the judges... You just might get nonstop great feedback. It's totally possible it's going to happen. My issue is often they'll stop giving feedback early because they all ask maybe one question. They all feel compelled to, and they stop. And, but the, the, the tragedy is that you feel relief from that situation, and you walk away, and you think you would have won $300 as number one prize or whatever it is, or $3,000. And that experience is worth, like, if I had to pay them for their time, it would have been worth like $9,000. Yeah. That was the prize, and you're relieved to walk out on it. It's a very, very good, very interesting you know? perspective. You know, like it's that. crazy. It's just, it, I like that. Yeah it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's very important for people to like, just get that in their bones. Because otherwise, you just want to turn and walk away. Yeah. You know? Like, no, no, no. Yeah. This is the prize. <laughs> Which goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation about in the morning when you're in the shower, you're thinking, will this matter in six weeks from now? And that, that instance will matter in six weeks from now. That Beautiful. Beautiful. So it's a good way to bring the conversation all totally. the way back to the beginning. You're there. Again, if, it, if you're like, the last question for you to ask, I can't even think of a clever ask, question to ask them, then just ask the ridiculous question, why am I going to fail? You will think to yourself, I look like such an ass. I feel like an ass. This is inappropriate. But the truth is, everything you get from after that is what you're going to care about in six weeks. Very cool. You know what I mean? So, last question to end on. Um, I'm curious that you've given some amazing nuggets. Thank you so much for your time. If you had to give, if you had to summarize all of this advice to a smart, driven college student who wants to be, be someone who is actively implementing their vision and focusing on the high-priority tasks that are the 20% of the tasks that are giving 80% of the results... What, how, would you, how would you phrase that advice to them? You have 20 seconds with them in an elevator. What would be your elevator pitch to a smart, driven college student? Try to move the ball every day. 
right? It's important. Try to move the ball every day and always question from fundamentals whether the decisions you're making have been, whether you've paid down the risk on the decisions you're making, right? Always go, is there evidence that this is the right decision? If there's not, it might be worth your time to pay into it, right? To, to build that out and see that. But don't, don't spend too much of your time on something that's built on five hypotheses where you haven't tested any of them. Because that is a great way for, for like, unfortunately, for an incredibly driven person who's then their time is valuable because they're just working. They're always going to move the ball every day. It's a great way to squander like their amazing resource, which is time. It's to work on something that is on a tower of hypotheses that they have not tested, poked at, questioned. It's very often going to collapse. And success would have been right next door if they had just like tested one of those, you know. So that's, that's really important to me that people understand that, that they understand, find your kernel that sets you on fire. Then you are understanding all the assumptions you built off that to build your massive business. And you go, okay, great. You want to build that massive business. We know the kernel sets you on fire. Go up to that first layer. Let's tackle that. Go up to your second layer. Tackle that. I don't know if I'm doing what's right. The other layers were good. You already built value. Keep going, keep going, keep going, and you just keep growing off of that. Don't just like act like a cobra and swallow you know, an elephant, and then you're like this was not a good choice. <laughs> like, this was the poor choice, you know. Yeah, it's still alive or something. You, know, you just find your assumptions, find things that sets you on fire. Find from that you are able to see all the assumptions, and then pay down the risk on them one at a time, and grow your business and grow the value. Thanks so much for your time. If you want to stay in touch with the crowd, where can people find you? Okay. Every time I talk to people, I tell them this. Just email me. Okay. Okay? So, here's my email. M, as in Matthew, B, as in balloon, star, S-T-A-R-R, at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. Um, and then Rally Energy. So, do you want to give the Rally website? Pick up some, some mints? Yeah, Rally Mints. <laughs> Throw a plug. Uh, RallyMints.com. Uh, we're caffeinated mints. Quick caffeinated kick in your pocket. They're really, really good. So. Cool. Um, I'm not a caffeine guy, and I'm saying that. I appreciate All right, it. cool. Thank you so much, Matt. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Yeah, great. Because it was some crazy shit. Was I was actually really interested stuff. in watching the rockets fall away from the... The boosters fall away from the main rocket. I wasn't sure exactly how it was going to go. Oh, they were gonna I don't know right if... I hadn't seen the simulation in a long time, so I don't remember if in the simulation they show like the bars detaching and then like coming in. And so as I was watching it, I started realizing because uh, NASA is very fond of using like little explosives actually at times to detach things often because um, they're more dependable than mechanisms often. And so as it was, as it was start you know, gaining altitude, I was like, yeah, yeah, how is it gonna detach? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, how is that gonna release? And then just kind of like gracefully, you know, it was like a. Tss- and then kind of gracefully fell aside, and then like the little like actuator arms kind of came in that were right there that were attached to it, and I was like, oh, rock on! <laughs> and then you know everyone's cheering like crazy because you know that's what you know now they're gonna start falling back and watching the uh, projections of like where it's gonna be landing, changing all the time, and just amazing. Of course, that view of them landing simultaneously is insane, but um, yeah, I was, yeah. I, at that point, I was just fully engaged in looking at. Like the velocity at that point was probably like thousands of kilometers per hour. It was like like one thousand two. I was like, this is so crazy. And there's a car. <laughs> it's like car. And like how we tweeted maybe a day or two ago, uh, Elon. And he was like, the thought of an alien race or something coming back and just finding a car flying <laughs> floating around. You know, basically endlessly just floating around in space is just a simultaneous hilarious and intriguing and interesting. Humans were here what is this thing? I was like, what were they doing? What were they doing? And the cool part is, they were celebrating. Yeah. It's, that's his like, that's a celebration. You know, and there's like, that was a human, an organization of humans celebrating an accomplishment. They could have just left it empty, they could have put like a ball there, whatever. And they were like, nope. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) put a car up there, man. It's like, all right. Okay, 
Okay, there you go. There it's you awesome. Go. Did yeah, you yeah. see the little the little Tesla with the little star man on the dashboard of the Tesla? I did not. No, so on that's the dashboard hilarious. there's a there's like a Hot Wheels Tesla with the little um, with a little astronaut inside the front seat. That's great. It's hilarious. That's like a good. Good car. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd seen the images, and I thought they were, before I actually, I was like, okay, okay. Like, this is what it's going to look like. And it was, it's like, there's there's a dude sitting in that car. So do you, know, was, do you know how it's gimbaled? Is it on a mount and I have no, gimbaling I, I don't, it? I don't know. Because they're, like, turning it all the time. I don't know. That's, That's a good question. I mean, I guess you just have to get it going, and then it would keep going. Because there's, like, no friction. So if you, like, just put a little thruster on it, like, pssst. But they're not like constantly turning. It seems like they're like, like, maneuvering it to say, "Here's the Earth view." Now Earth's in back of us. Oh yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't know how they're doing that. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I really wonder how much thought goes into that. I think. That's for a lot of Elon stuff, for a lot of a stuff. Lot. I know for a lot of Elon <laughs> stuff. I feel like there's things that he does that are clever and interesting and funny, and part of just like that's great. And I really wonder if there's. A significant amount of like, how do I get people to love this idea? Mm-hmm. And not in a bad way. Just the greatest. How do I just? Yeah, absolutely. How do? And, and I mean, you know, how many movies in the future will there be, for one reason or another, this Tesla that's discovered like floating around the solar system, or a joke about the Tesla floating around, or like, you know, it just perpetually, will go out, in part of popular culture, you know, as things happen, and uh, and he's able to do that, obviously.